So Grace Hill, we want to be loving God and loving our neighbor. And so uh, Luke 10 is, we're, we're continuing the series in, in Luke, and we came this beginning of the winter to Luke 10. And so Luke 10 really is giving us one way of instructions for how we can love our neighbor. Um, we, the first week we looked at verse 1 and 2, that Jesus gives a commission to all of us. Anyone who's a disciple is also a messenger. And Jesus gives us a commission he, to go ahead of him in just various places, the places he's put us, um, and to take uh, a message of his grace um, and truth and love and mercy to people around us. Uh, then last week, we looked at the context. So we have a commission. We looked at the context. The context is not encouraging. It's we're lambs in the midst of wolves, right? It's, it's not, we don't go forth as lions in the midst of wolves, but uh, we go forth as lambs. And so there's a vulnerability that's inherent in this commission. Um, and then we also looked last week at the content. So what do you do as you go forth? One, you bless, right? You speak peace to, to others. Um, you, you share your hope of the peace that God and Christ has with others. You do mercy. You help and you heal. You bring wholeness where there's brokenness. And then you speak the kingdom, that Jesus has come and brought the kingdom of God, and, and that's another way to put the, you bring the gospel, the simple gospel message of we need, we're alienated from God, but Jesus is bridging the gap for us that we might have restored relationship with God. So this Sunday, I want to continue on and look at, so we looked at commission, context, content. This Sunday, we look at conflict, right? So that what do we do when they don't receive your message? Right? We'll look at the moment in, at the moment in the passage. There's a very clear thing Jesus says. When you enter the town and they do receive it, do this. When you enter the town and they don't receive you, do this. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, so we're going to look at Jesus' instructions about what to do when people do not receive us, why we need these words from Jesus, and what are Jesus' instructions then. So let me read for us the uh, whole of Luke 10, 1 to 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray there, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But, whatever, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust on your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. 
I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be... But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Father, would you please help us? Thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for coming and living and dwelling amongst us, revealing your grace and truth. Lord, some of what we're looking at this morning is, is difficult. It goes against the grain of our culture, but it probably went against the grain of that culture as well. Father, would you give us your spirit to speak to us, to give us understanding, to enable us to put the pieces together of your word so that we might rejoice in it and we might have courage and faith from you to walk in it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've got, as we went through, verse 1 and 2 is the commission. Verse 3 is the context, the vulnerability. Verse 4, uh, 5, 6 or so is, and, or actually all the way to, uh, to 9 is, what do we do? We bless, we uh, heal, we speak forth the gospel. But Jesus very clearly wants to set up a contrast here between verse 8 and verse 10. Right? Notice the parallelism. When you enter a town and they receive you, here's what you do. Right? Eat whatever they give you, heal the sick, speak the kingdom. Verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, right? it's just very parallel. Not the only difference there. Go into the streets and say, even the dust that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you, um, etc. So Jesus wants us, wanted his disciples then to n- know Uh, to see this very clear contrast. Sometimes you will be received, and sometimes you will not be received. Right? And he's giving instructions for which which everyone's going to happen. Whatever happens, here's the instructions Jesus has for us. And so sometimes, I don't know, are you you an optimistic person that you think, oh, Jesus is sending us out on mission, and it's certainly going to go well. Jesus is sending us. Everybody's going to receive us. Right? Are, are you a super optimistic person that um, nothing can go wrong if Jesus is sending us? Well, Jesus is like, no, there are things can go wrong. Right? Or, or they cannot receive you. Or are you a super pessimistic person who's like, oh, they're never going to receive us. It's all, we're never going to be accepted in the city. We're never going to be accepted to our neighbors, our friends when we do this. Um, we're we're going to not be received. We're going to be rejected. Right? So Jesus is saying, Don't be humanly optimistic and don't be humanly pessimistic, but realize as I send you forth, both are going to happen, right? And so calibrate your thinking for uh, people are going to receive you and people are not going to receive you. Um, And so we, uh, so Jesus wants us to to think um, uh, about that. Um, I'm going to save the first quote for a core so we can keep moving. But, um, so please, adults, let's, let's gather in core after worship so that we can debrief and talk together and, and 
talk through the application of what all this Luke 10 means in our context, because we didn't get to do that last week. Um, you know, but just a, just a quick little word on optimism and pessimism. Right? There's lots of people that we think, oh, if I go share the gospel with them, they'll respond, right? They're the kind of person, I, in my head, I think they're going to respond. And they don't respond. They say, no, that's not for me. But, you know, I was reading a book just this week, and it talked about some of you adults, some of you adults know who Jeffrey, I think it's Jeffrey Dahmer is. Right? He's a, kids, he's a serial killer. I won't go any further than that because there's no reason to talk about anything else. But uh, he committed just, just despicable, horrible, horrible things. Well, you know what? There was supposedly a woman who was prompted to write to prisoners, and she wrote to the prison that he was in, and he actually wrote back, and they're engaging about the gospel, and then a minister went and met with him in that hospital, and according to the book, Jeffrey Dahmer became a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, right? So sometimes we have views of like, oh, that kind of person, serial killers never turn and turn to Jesus, but that's not the right way we're supposed to think about this, right? The gospel of God's grace can come in and change anyone. So we have to be hopeful, and we're not just hopeful for like, well, I'm hopeful for this kind of person, but this person, ah, oh, they're never going to respond. No. I mean, if, if that's, assuming that's all true, the gospel message can change any heart. And so we have to always be hopeful and optimistic. Um, and yet, we're also, there's probably also times where you're like, uh, this person is so, seems like they'll respond to the gospel, and they don't. And so we don't know who responds and who doesn't. But Jesus is saying, go forth and know that you're going to create, a, you're going to engage a variety of contexts. And I want you to be prepared for that. So are you overly optimistic or are you overly pessimistic? Jesus is calling us to a a gospel-sized hope and yet realism for how we're being sent out into the world. All right, so Jesus sets up this. Some are going to receive you, some are not going to receive you. Um, Why does he do all that? Why does he raise this, this question? He raises the question because in the last chapter, the disciples got it totally wrong. Now, you probably won't remember, but in, in the summer, we talked about Luke chapter 9. And at the end of Luke chapter 9, there's something very similar to Luke chapter 10 that happens. Jesus sends out these uh, disciples uh, ahead of him. Right? Just, like the language, just like the language here. I'm going to go into this town. Go ahead of me. You're my advanced team. He goes, they go into, they're sent in this Samaritan town. But what happens in the Samaritan town is uh, the second quote in the bulletin. Luke 9, 52 to 56. But the people did not receive him. Right? Exact same language as our passage. Um, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. So, you know, there's, there's animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus is reaching out to the Samaritan village, but the Samaritans are like, you're going to Jerusalem? No, we don't have anything to do with you. Go away, you're not welcome in this town. So, what do James and John do? When James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want... To, you want do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> so there's an example just a few verses earlier. They got it totally wrong. They got, when you're not received, they got the situation totally wrong. And so in one sense, that's why Jesus needs to give us instructions. Uh, 
But Jesus, he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So obviously, that's not the right type of response. So there's two wrong responses when you're not received. This is one of them, right? Um, Do you have any... I mean, we're, we're all nice, kind people. We would never want to call fire down from heaven, right? But some of us probably, when, you know, at our worst, we're probably tempted a little bit towards this, right? We're probably tempted a little bit to like, God, would you just, I, you, I'm rejected. The gospel's rejected. Would you just judge right now? Would you just show that I'm right and they're wrong right now, right? Some of us, if we're honest, if our hearts fall one way or the other, they fall that way. Right, um, so Jesus, but Jesus is saying, you know, if your heart falls that way, that's not what I want you to do, right? And it's not—it's not that judgment won't come eventually, but it's not supposed to come right there, right now, in that type of way. And, but you know what? I think perhaps James and John—they're rejected by the Samaritan village. And I think maybe they personally felt wounded and rejected, right? That they personally wanted vindication. And their way to get vindication was, God, would you just show them that we're right? Would you just bring judgment, bring a sign right now and and show everybody that we're right? But I don't think judgment is the way we're supposed to find vindication for our own hearts. I think God's love is how we're supposed to find vindication for our hearts. Right? In other words, Jesus is going to send us out, and some people and some villages, some situations are not going to receive us. What are you going to do when they don't receive you? Right? When you, if you feel it as it's rejection of you, well, first of all, it's not really rejection of you, it's rejection of the gospel message itself and of Jesus. But what are you going to do for your own heart, when you feel like I'm not received, I'm not, uh, how am I going to find vindication for myself? I don't, I don't, judgment's not like, so some pe- sometimes we want vindication by somebody declaring we're right. Instead, I think we find vindication by saying, God's love has grabbed hold of me and it's sufficient to sustain me and hold my heart together even in the midst of being rejected. Right? So I think we need to go back to the sense of saying, Jesus is the fullness expre- fullest expression of God's love of mission in the world. But I think we've got to go all the way back. Why did God show himself to Abraham and call him into a covenant? Because God has an eternal heart of love that is desire to gather a people to himself. That's what's behind that act of reaching out to Abraham. What, what was behind the act of God calling Moses to the burning bush and giving him a, a confirmation of that same covenant of, to Abraham with a new expression um, for Moses and his people? It's the heart of love of God behind, is behind that. And then picking David, the runtiest, small little guy of the whole litter, and making him king. What's behind that? God's own heart of love. And so what's behind Jesus being sent and Jesus saying, Father, I will go. I will be incarnate and become human and dwell amongst them in the midst of of the sin of the world and and teach them and show them and lay down my life for them and rise again victorious for them. What's behind all that? It's 
God's heart of love to gather a people unto himself. And so I think it's when our hearts are wounded or we, we're crushed because people have rejected us, we don't say, I, let me get my heart right by someone declaring that I'm right. Let me rather get my heart right by plunging it into that, the love of God that is behind the whole mission, that the whole Bible is talking about his gathering of people to himself. Does that make sense? So we, we turn instead to say, all right, they're rejecting me, but God didn't reject me. God came after me when I rejected him. How amazing is that love? When I was his enemy and when I was just pushing God away, his love came towards me and grasped hold of me and renewed me and changed me. That's what I'm going to put my broken heart into. Uh, and I think maybe there's an application here also for when there's other types of conflict, right? I mean, over some, sometimes we, you and I have conflicts with our own family, right? We have conflicts with friends. We have conflicts with our own family, and there's a lack of peace and all. And sometimes we want to, someone to just declare we're right. Would someone please show, to tell that person that I'm right and they're misguided in this situation? Uh, I think there's an application here, too, for that. No, I need to... I need to plunge my broken heart into God's love and then pray for his peace and healing to come and work out the situation. Okay, so, so one wrong path is call down fire. And we'll talk more about this in core. We don't have time. But where did they get this idea of call down fire? Well, that's what Elijah actually did in 2 Kings chapter 1. Um, but it was a different setting. It's a different context text that... He, that was, I think, not a wrong decision on Elijah's part there, whereas here it is a wrong decision. And we'll talk about the context difference there. But the other, so that's call down fire is one wrong decision, a wrong approach. The other wrong approach might be, well, God's a God of love. There's not, there's not going to be a judgment. There, we should never talk about judgment um, because God just accepts everybody. And, and we're... We're all just a little misguided. We have different ways of thinking about things, but God will set everybody right in the end. Right? So there's sort of another, the other approach is a total capitulation to the fact that that judgment is like a wrong category of things. But that's not the right perspective because look at verse 12. Jesus' own words say, I tell you it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom for, than for that town. On that day is picking up an Old Testament language for that there is a day of the Lord. There is a day when God sets everything right. And that means judging those who reject God and who are doing wrong and, and vindication for those who, are, who receive God's grace and who are doing right. So there is a, Jesus' own words, there is a day uh, where God sets everything right. And he even says, you know what? It'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So Sodom, of course, is this paradigmatic town of where, with, with sexual corruption. But the scriptures also say with a lack of hospitality. That's what Ezekiel says. They're both going on there. Jesus is saying the town that rejects me and the gospel is being much more inhospitable than Sodom is. And so they're going to have a greater judgment, 
Right? There's going to be a greater judgment for, that's what Jesus is saying in verse 12, uh, for the, that town. And then he continues that same idea. Woe, woe is a judgment word. Jesus' words, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Tyre and Sidon are paradigmatic evil cities that Isaiah 23 gives a woe, a, a judgment about. Jesus is saying, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, if you don't realize what you've gotten. You don't realize my coming to you is is so wonderful, such an experience of grace that, that if Tyre and Sidon had had that, they would have repented. You should have repented. Right? Jesus is saying You're, these cities are wrong because they didn't really repent and have true faith at the presence of Jesus. Um, so Jesus is, not, Jesus is still saying, verses 12 to 15, judgment is a proper category. It's not that it's not going to happen. It's just not happening now. And it's not up to us to say, all right, God, bring it down. But, it's, but it is a proper category, and God is going to work that out at some point in the future. Right? So Jesus is giving us the proper response. So then what is that proper response? There's two things. Verse 10. Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust on your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. And then nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. So let me do, take the second one first because it's a little bit easier to get a hold of. When he says, nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you, it's saying, you're rejecting this message, but nevertheless, nevertheless means whatever else is true, hear this because this is true. What, you might be rejecting uh, us or the gospel message or Jesus for some reason or whatever, but know that the kingdom has come near to you. So in other words, you subjectively are saying, I don't think that's true. But Jesus is saying, part of our response is to say, no, objectively, this is true. Right? Just because you say, I don't think that's true, doesn't mean the reality of our needing to be saved through Christ is not true. Right? So part of Jesus' words is we're supposed to insist a little bit on the, reality, the objective reality of the gospel. So what's that like? It's like um, today the dry, driving wasn't so bad, but last Sunday it was quite bad, right? And so if someone's like, you're like, it's icy out there, you better be careful. And someone's like, ah, I know, that's not icy. No problem, I can handle this. You're like, no, it, the objective, you might subjectively think it's going to be fine for you, but the objective reality is there's snow and ice and craziness out there. You, you need to hear the objective reality of what's true, right? Or maybe someone's like, oh, I'm going to invest in Bitcoin, all my retirement savings, it's going to be great, no problem. You're like, uh, the objective reality of Bitcoin is that it's highly volatile. It's been to 60,000, it's been down to below 30,000. So, you can do whatever you want, and you can think about it in whatever way you want to think about it, but the objective reality is it's, it's the most volatile thing that exists in one sense. So, again, Jesus is saying, whatever you, it, we live in a pluralistic environment. You can say, no, I don't think that's true. But Jesus is saying, yeah, you don't think it's true, but the objective reality that Jesus says, that God declares to us is, 
there is alienation between us and God, and that Jesus is the one bridge that brings us uh, back to God, right? Um, a few verses later, we'll look at it in a couple of weeks, where it says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and whoever the Son reveals him, the Father too. Right? So it's, Jesus is the one who, who restores our relationship with God. So that's the second piece there of, of we do, there's a call to say, nevertheless, know that the kingdom of God has come near. So, but what do we do with this dust? This dust on our feet? Or, right? and, and this is something that Paul did at least twice in the book of Acts. Uh, in Acts 13 and also um, in, I think, Acts 16, Paul, when he's rejected by the Jews, he he knocks the dust off his feet and turns to the Gentiles. Or another place, he takes his cloak and he shakes the dust out of it. So same idea. What are we supposed to do with that? Uh, what, I think we've got to talk about this a little bit in core because it, it, would, it would seem a... If we do it literally, it's, it would seem quite odd, right? But the point is, we're trying, you, there's an element of trying to communicate separateness like, if you're going to reject the gospel of Jesus, then there has to be sort of a separateness between us. There has to be... So the sign of the dust is trying to communicate in a, a visual sign, right, a, an enacted sign, that there's consequences to your rejection, right? That, that if you're going to go down that road, I don't want to have anything to do with that road, rejecting Jesus, and so I'm going to, I'm going to separate in a certain sense. So we need to work through this, but I think this is one of the questions of when do you do this, I think, is it depends when is your final conversation, right? If you meet someone in the airplane and, uh, and they're going one way and you're going another way, you're never going to see them again, probably. You, you probably should communicate this point somehow in that conversation if you're having a gospel conversation and they don't receive it. Um, with your own family member, you're having a conversation... Uh, it's not necessarily the last conversation, right? So you do need to communicate a seriousness of, if you reject the gospel, there's a serious aspect to that. Um, and yet for, if it's in our family members, our neighbors, sometimes that conversation can take place over a long period of time. And so there's not a finality necessarily immediately. Um, but Jesus is saying, rejecting the gospel is a, is a very serious thing that has a lot of consequences to it. And so if we're rejected, part of our message is communicating those consequences. It, that's not easy because we're in a, right now, our day and age, nobody likes any bad news, in a sense. Nobody wants, we don't, we don't want to hear anything, anything bad. Um, and yet, but Jesus is calling us to communicate the seriousness of the consequences of rejecting the gospel. It's part of our mission from him. Um, just to, to wrap up, one hopeful aspect of all this, if we put this passage in, in the fuller context of the scriptures, you know, there's the, the context is lambs amongst wolves, right, that Jesus is sending us. But, you know, one of Isaiah's images of God setting everything right, of God 
judging and bringing perfect peace and removing death and sin is the wolf will lie down with the lamb. And so it's God is going to set everything right. When the, the gospel works its way out and God sets everything right, there's going to be such a huge transformation that this context of vulnerability right now where we're lambs amongst wolves, God's going to bring such a pervasive peace, such a healing to everything that's broken, such a restoration of relationships and goodness and and that gathering in of the people that he's, his heart of love has, has been seeking, that's going to be so beautiful that this image of vulnerability is utterly changed. That the wolves, if, so if there's wolves somehow in heaven, those wolves will just lie down and like lick the lambs affectionately, like my dog licks himself affectionately. Um, so, I mean, it's... it's so... So I just want you to grasp the hope. What is Jesus doing here? He, he is going to set everything right. It's going to be so, so right that even wolves will lie down with lambs. Father, would you help us as we put the pieces of this mission in Luke 10 together? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us of the commission that you are giving to each one of us? Would you give us courage in the midst of difficult contexts? Would you help us to get a handle on how, in the name of Jesus, we can bless others, we can bring wholeness where there's brokenness, how we can bring the gospel word of reconciliation with the Father through the death and resurrection of Jesus? Would you help us with that? Would you help us also, Jesus, understand these words that Rejection of the gospel is serious, and the right thing to do is that there's some communication in love but in seriousness of rejecting the gospel. Would you help us to understand what that might look like in our day and time? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.